everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bourbon Showdown Podcast. My name is Jesse Jones, and on the show today, we've got Broad Branch Distillery, baby. That's right, my buddy Dan Spivey, the head of brand strategy and marketing for Broad Branch Distillery. He comes onto the program to walk me through one of the best distilleries in North Carolina, producing some of the best whiskey this state has to offer. That's right, we go deep into the North Carolina whiskey scene. We talk about what it takes to set up a distillery in today's market. Dan is a wealth of knowledge, not only on whiskey production, but on what it takes to make a whiskey brand stick. And by God, if Broad Branch hasn't been producing some of the best whiskey in North Carolina for years now, and him and I do a deep dive on that whiskey. And then what do we do? What do we do after we talk about that whiskey? you damn right. We drink it. That's a hundred percent what we did and me and dan we've known each other for a few years we (laughs) we know how to have a good time baby that's exactly what we do in this conversation him and i are both very like fluent thinking people when it comes to whiskey and we just go man we just go wherever the conversation takes us and i absolutely love when that happens you guys are only going to get like a hour and a half block of what was like a four hour conversation that Dan and I had. Dan's just one of those dudes that when you start talking whiskey, the next thing you know, it's tomorrow and I never get tired of it. So thank you, Dan, so much for coming on the show. I love what Broad Branch is doing and I absolutely uh, thank you guys for being such good friends of the show. So uh, without further ado, I don't think I'm going to do any time up top today. I don't think I'm going to do much. I've been on the road. You can hear it in my voice. I've been in town after town after town after town doing comedy, doing whiskey tastings. I absolutely love it. If you want to come see me, you can go to jessejonesonline.com. That's where the comedy schedule is. Go to bourbonshowdown.com. That's where the whiskey schedule is. It's a beautiful thing. Like I was in Nashville last week, got to talk to my good buddy Andy from Nelson Brothers from Greenbrier. So uh, good Lord, guys. It's, it's, it's gorgeous. They are doing some renovations to the distillery right now. What he has in store, what they are building. I think he's like six weeks out from having this whole thing done. And by God, that's why I love what I do. I was able to stop by, have some delicious 15-year rye that he's got at the distillery only. And then he gave me a tour of what they're planning. And then I went and did a comedy show. How is that a bad day? There's no bad days for me when whiskey and comedy are both involved. So So I don't really, I don't think there's much more to talk about. I appreciate Dan coming on the show. Broad Branch is another distillery that if you haven't been, you should go. Right in the middle of Winston-Salem, North Carolina, they got all that good whiskey right in the tasting room. So if you like Broad Branch and you maybe haven't had a Boykin yet, Boykin is one of their delicious ryes that comes out. Oh my God, if you've not had a Boykin, you should have a Boykin. I know that sounds weird, but you know, if you're going to Boykin, you should Boykin, right? See if I can say it two more times, Boykin, Boykin. So without further ado, go to Winston-Salem, try some of this delicious whiskey. If you're in North Carolina, you can find it on the shelves. I believe you can find it online as well in some places. Let's get this thing started. It's the Bourbon Showdown Podcast. It's Broad Branch Distillery. It's Dan Spivey. My name's Jesse Jones. Let's start the show.
welcome, buddy. It's so good to have you on. Uh, we've known each other forever. We've done a lot of stuff together already. Very happy to finally have you on the show. We've got Dan Spivey from Broad Branch Distillery, uh, the head of product innovation and development for the distillery. Welcome, my friend. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on today. Um, yeah, we have known each other for a good like two and a half, three years from now. I think we met like kind of right at the kickoff of COVID when I first moved back to North Carolina. I think so. Uh, I think it was around then. And yeah, plenty of plenty of great whiskeys drank together. Plenty of uh, plenty of plenty of nights of shenanigans. <laughs> well, yeah, we've covered the gambit in so many different ways as it comes to whiskey, whiskey production, whiskey taxation, uh, whiskey distribution. Uh, I, right. I, I figured we we might as well finally get this on record and get this on tape because uh, every time you and I get together, we always get into some uh, good whiskey conversation. So welcome, buddy. I'm very glad to have you uh, on. Thank you. Thank you. I, I'm sure we'll end up going down a few rabbit holes that have nothing to do with whiskey. <laughs> it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a conversation if we didn't. Right. <laughs> so uh, I, I love your journey. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, just give the listener a, a quick synopsis of what brought you to the whiskey world and uh, Broad Branch Distillery's history as well, because uh, Winston-Salem what a perfect place for a distillery and how you came to be there is a pretty cool story. Winston-Salem's a phenomenal town. Um, and really is. not a town that was on my radar, um, until I, I ended up in Winston-Salem where I happened to find the most fantastic small distillery. Um, so the way this whole story goes, it's probably a little easier for me to tell how I got into the industry and then sort of expand out on, on broad branch and, and why I, you know, work so hard to try to find a position with the distillery. Um, but I did 20 years in the air force and back when I was getting ready to transition out and retire, they had a program called the DOD skills bridge. And the way that worked is that your service component will let you go for about six months early and keep paying you all your pay and benefits. If you can find an unpaid internship or something like an apprenticeship. So, which is such a cool thing to offer uh, uh, because it basically, it gives you early retirement to an extent from the service while preparing you for the next stage of your career? Yeah. I, one of the things they, they focus heavily on as like you're getting ready to leave the service is, you know, they're constantly reminding you like life outside is very, very different. How you interact with people professionally is very, very different. You know, like everything about your life fundamentally changes when you leave. So you know, being able to have that that head start on your civilian life um, pays dividends for so many of us. Um, so I, you know, and, and we've talked was, about this before. I, I'm getting to see it right now with my brother-in-law. Uh, uh, that division between life in the service and life out of the service. He's about halfway through. Uh, he's he just re-signed for his third stint, and he came over for Christmas or he came, he got back from Germany around right after Christmas. And, and it really is when somebody's in the middle of it, just how their 
interacting even with family members it is it is stiffer it's more to the point it's very uh it's very um it's all about your military bearing and like you carry that military bearing outside of the uniform even you know like you're on vacation for two weeks even though you take the uniform off you never shake the uniform that cadence is still there Mm -hmm. like you know after basic training and marching and then like all the formations you march in in sort of your technical training or follow-on training like the stride of someone in the military is just just how they walk is very sort of aggressive stiff formal like hard heel strikes chin up <laughs> you know it's a lot Walk of people don't purpose. realize how kind of cons- all encompassing a military lifestyle is you know your friends are in the military the military your unit becomes sort of your de facto family that you go to everything for you know like the way you drink have- whiskey is very different as well <laughs> yeah but most guys are just tossing it back I poured him a. Uh, he came to stay with us for a couple of days, and oh, <laughs> he's going to be so embarrassed by this. I poured him a tall, a tall pour of something nice, and he thanked me. And he just flung it back. I've never. I mean, I, I, but you know, we're, we're also are a, a special breed where we don't always understand that people don't understand what we understand. You, you, you right. know. I should have given the poor kids some uh, uh, some preparation. So funny story along the same lines. Um, when me and Kaylin got married, uh, like we rented out this campground in, in eastern Kentucky where our family's from and had, you know, brought in like 50 of our, our closest friends and just had this big like two day party. But the night before the wedding, everyone linked up in um, Lexington. And like we all went out and had drinks in Lexington. I can't remember which bar we were at, but one of one of my good friends from very early in my military career, a fellow named Brandon, um, we're sitting at this bar and Kaylin comes walking up to me while I'm talking with Brandon. He's all excited about the wedding. We're excited he was able to make it. And he's like, Let I've been looking at the menu. I got a great whiskey picked out. Let, let me get that. And we're like, awesome. So he looks over at the bartender, he's like, Let me get three pours of, of that one we talked about. This fellow reaches up and grabs a purple top willet. I was like, <laughs> oh, oh, no. oh, oh no. yeah. And he sets the bottle down and it's like an 18 year old rye. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was so ridiculous. And he, he does pours and I'm like, oh, wow. Like this is this is a legit pour. Like and me and Caitlin been married since 2015. So even then, this was a hundred plus dollar pour. Right. You know, right. Now it's now if if you could find a bottle of it, it'd probably be two three hundred dollar pour. Um, so we all get the pour. We do the cheers, and Brandon just tosses it back. <laughs> and this is the cast strength family estate. <laughs> and he just goes, I see his eyes get big, and I see him like choke that. <laughs> ounce and a half of really expensive whiskey down that's at castrate and he goes i shouldn't have done that should i and me and caitlin both look at him we go absolutely not but respect that's a really expensive shot yes uh, but that that moment of reco- uh, that moment of recognition that moment of i shouldn't have done that that's the first thing my brother-in-law said he took it to the head and goes 
oh, I shouldn't have done that, should I? And it's the same thing. It's like, nope, but if you enjoyed it, then I guess you're fine. Right. Since then, Brandon Brandon has come a long way in his whiskey journey, and he's not (laughs) tossing back shots of family estate anymore. (laughs) Dude, good God. Oh man! I mean, so the look—the look on my face and Kalen's face was like all he needed to know when he tossed that back. We were just like, <laughs> he didn't just do that. Oh no! <laughs> what, what did the bartender do? I'm sure the bartender was just like, hey, hey, as long as the check clears, man, you do what he you want to do. He just laughed and put the bottle up. <laughs> he just laughed and put the bottle up because you know he saw it all the time. He was just like, oh man. Got another one of these guys. Got another chugger. <laughs> that is beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. So and, and yeah, so from I, there, your whiskey journey uh, uh, from the military into your uh, internship. Where where did you intern? Um, you know, I had I came down when my wife told me we were moving to Winston Salem. I was, you know, still had about a little over 12 months left probably 14 months in the service i happened to be sitting in afghanistan at the time so like she moved to winston bought a house started like renovating a house while i'm overseas get back from overseas take like my 30 days of block leave in winston i was like i better figure out where i'm gonna live you know eight months from now when i retire um they had this this great great small distillery um and I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I didn't, I didn't have too high of expectations when I went in to just do a tasting, see what was gonna be, in, you know, what would be my new home. Um, and I started out with our moonshine and worked through the whole product lineup. We didn't have a, a bourbon at the time. Rye Fidelity was, you know, we still had these, uh, we still had these old school. Yep, I've got a couple of those. Oh, so your internship was with Broad Branch. Yeah. Dude, I, I, I'm sure I knew that, but I spaced on that. So your entire journey has literally been the most organic, perfect whiskey journey that there is. Yeah. You know, I so I, I did our I did our standard, you know, tasting at the distillery and was just kind of really taken back by the quality across the board with everything I tasted. Um, and did a little research to make sure the DOD would let me do an internship at a distillery and then reached right. out to him. I was like, Hey, do you guys want like six months of free labor? Like, I just, you know, I told him, I just want to learn more about how all of this is made. Oh, you know, like if, if there happens to be a position open in the future, awesome. If not, that's fine. Like, I just want to learn more. And they, they brought me on as an intern. And by the time I retired, they had brought me on full time to run all the brand development. Um, That's freaking cool. You know, like the chips kind of just fell perfectly for me. And the, the thing I love about you guys, because as more distilleries, launch in North Carolina. It, it I, I just love the passion that you guys have for putting out good product. Like, like if there's going to be a legit, like, like craft care about what they do art. Like, like when I say craft, I mean like whiskey making is an art form. Like, like you guys yeah. look at it through a lens of this needs to be, why are you doing it? If you're not doing it for yourself and to do it right. 
Yeah, I mean, one of the things we we say around the distillery all the time is if if we don't like it neat, it can't go in the bottle. And it doesn't matter if it's an eight-year-old whiskey or 95-proof new make moonshine. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like, we have to like, like its flavor profile neat. Um, like, we've been doing some product develop re- development recently on uh, something we want to kick out in the spring. And it's been kind of two months of tasting comparable things on the market, you know, within the same category and us kind of playing with our formulation on our side. And, you know, we've gone through probably 15 to 20 different kind of formulations to finally get it narrowed down to two that were comfortable drinking meat, even though it's not a product that most people would drink meat. It's right. a product that most people would use as like a cocktail base. So, I mean, it's just for us, at least probably a very different approach on, on how we want to bottle things and what we want to put in the bottle. And you've been around long enough too, that you've, you've, there's an interesting stage of growth that every company goes through where your innovation is starting to emerge. Like you guys have your bourbon, you have your rye, you do what you do well, you've gotten that where you want it. And now you've got these cool things coming out. You did the blueberry collider last year. You've got the apple collider this year. I I, I know we're going to try it later. I've, I've, I might be cheating and having a little bit now. The apple collider is so freaking good and fun and everything that I like about you guys. Uh, so, so whiskey in North Carolina is not a new thing. Whiskey in North Carolina goes back from the time when the railroad was built. Uh, uh, we used to be known for uh, whiskey in that we would ship it out over the mountains on the railroad. It, it, it's, it's not in the lexicon of normal whiskey drinkers that we are, <laughs> but, but, but we are. And, uh, Broad Branch kind of encapsulates that a little bit. So so walk me through the uh, start of Broad Branch, if you would, and tie as much North Carolina history into it as you want to. Will do. Um, I'm glad you brought up sort of North Carolina's history because most people don't understand how important the state was to distillation across the entire country. Um, you know, like we grew up thinking bourbon was a Kentucky thing and whiskey was a Kentucky thing. And that was that. And most people don't realize like prior to prohibition, North Carolina was it like, that's where distillation was happening. We were crushing it distilling more than anyone else in the country. And we were laying down more whiskey and then prohibition hit and post prohibition, our state, our state decided they really, really disliked, alcohol taxes and didn't want any of them so like so much of our distilling heritage died post prohibition and you know thankfully we have a lot of courageous entrepreneurs in the state and we now have (laughs) over 90 distilleries um craft distilleries in the state and they range from rather large so places like uh muddy river who does rum or southern spirits who also does american whiskeys both bourbon and rye that are you know those kinds of places are laying down 10 to twenty thousand barrels a year and and, and, that's, and regrowing that's regrowing some of that uh national like mm-hmm. like like 
everything that other people haven't been able to do, they've been taking on and doing well. So, I mean, the North right. Carolina groundswell is is there. Right. So very, very exciting because you have folks like that that are doing it on much larger scales. Then you have folks that are kind of doing it on the scale that we're doing it. So, you know, the, like Etta Ryan up in Asheville is producing nationally recognized like Amari. Their Fernet is regularly being featured at, in places like Punch or Imbibe Magazine. Um, Etta Ryan's phenomenal. And then, you know, you have folks like us, like, yeah, we're doing whiskey, but we're doing it on a truly small boutique kind of craft scale. Like we're going to, we're going to produce maybe 20,000 gallons this year. So like that is not a lot of spirit. Um, right, right. That's, that's, that's enough for the state and probably not enough for the state as people will kind of figure out more and more about like our age statements and how we do things and the fun things we're looking at doing. And to put that in perspective for the people listening, uh, Heaven Hill is turning out about 500,000 a year, about to be a million. On a barrel count, not a gallon count. (laughs) 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 Right. You know, because like Wilderness Trail that um, was at Bardstown just bought, um, they're laying down 80,000 barrels a year. A year. And they were they were considered a craft distillery up until recently because it's like seven hundred and fifty thousand gallons is where you stop being a craft distillery. Seven hundred and fifty. Wait, say say that again. So once you produce more than seven hundred and fifty thousand gallons, that's when the federal government no longer considers you a craft distillery, and you got to pay the big kid tax as opposed to the craft distillery tax. Wait, so so some of the some of the what people would consider the largest names in the industry are still to an extent a craft distiller yep i didn't know that that, that's interesting you will like you'll find distilleries around the country that make sure they stay underneath that seven hundred fifty thousand gallon mark because i imagine they can't produce enough over that to make up for the big tax hike which goes hand in hand with the relationship that distillers have had with the tax man uh, right. <laughs> from the very beginning. The tax man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my I'm, favorite I'm part of the bottled and bond story is that they they worked in a nice tax incentive for themselves to do so. Right. I mean, I'm not anti-tax. We need taxes. Like the the only reason this stuff's safe to drink is because of the taxes. Exactly. Like, you know, exactly. Like, you see a ton of the ton of alcohol taxes, whether it's beer, wine, or liquor, going towards education, rehabilitation programs, public works. So, like the taxes are used to the benefit of everyone. Of it's course. Just, Sometimes the taxes can be a little, a little brutal. (laughs) Well, and especially when it comes to spirit production, uh, post prohibition, you're not only working with, you know, a local government that might not be the most, uh, willing to work with you, but you're also working with all of those post prohibition laws that nobody was in a hurry to do anything about considering we are the buckle of the Bible belt. Yeah, we are. That's all I'm going to say on that. 
But when it comes to craft distilleries in North Carolina, that is a that is a gigantic hurdle to overcome when it uh, everything from being able to sell a bottle in your own establishment to distilling and selling your spirits in the first place. Like like cards are not necessarily and a lot of southern a lot of southern states face this same problem. Uh, Tennessee uh, had a hard time and uh, everything's by county and you know it takes a little bit to get going and a lot of red tape to get through so oh yeah when when broad branch got started uh i know because i grew up by uh winston-salem winston-salem mount airy uh greensboro predominantly dry counties up until 70s 80s 90s right three years ago <laughs> you know yeah i mean so broad branch was founded in 2013 that's when um john and nick the founders of the distillery um first got the dsp or distill distilled spirits provider license from the the federal government um we weren't able to start distilling until 2014 because it took that long just to get like all the equipment installed and get it to pass through all the certifications and inspections to even start so, you know, it took us it took us well over a year just to go from being legally authorized to do it to actually be able to do it. Um, so we generally think of like late 2014, specifically October. That's when we first like kicked the still on and did our first run of Night Lab um, as when we were actually founded as opposed to when we got our, our DSP in 2013, you know, because having a distillery that can't distill anything doesn't really count. Right, right. Or at least not for us. No, um, I mean it makes sense to me. And and what was the uh what was the ideology? What what got it started? What made them want to start a distillery in Winston-Salem? So Nick had been in the hospitality industry, opening and running kind of restaurants and bars around Winston-Salem through most of his adult life. And John uh built a beer and wine distribution business, um, ended up selling it. And him and Nick had known each other for, for years and they'd wanted to go into business together and do something like create something kind of from the ground up with a product. Um, so I, th they initially kind of tossed around the idea of wine um, but John wasn't kind of super excited about that. And they were like, all right, well then let's start doing whiskey. And they started looking at sort of the history of spirits in North Carolina. And it really became a, a really good fit for what they wanted to do. And both like, you know, the idea behind the distillery was, you know, try to reach back into North Carolina's sort of history and heritage and use some of these traditional mashes that were produced in the state um, with just a bit more of a modern take on them. So uh, well, even that I right there, like the flag was planted uh, uh, because at that time, 2014, or, or I'm, I'm sure in the idea stage, it would have been before that North Carolina had uh, moved from tobacco to wine. So the easy thing for them to have done would have been to start another crappy winery. But they <laughs> they, they didn't want to do that. They wanted to make something good. Uh, uh, so they went the extra mile to make uh, uh, to make whiskey. That's 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 eye opening in terms of the product you guys create. 
I'm super grateful they decided to like fully flesh out the process instead of stopping like one third of the way through it. Right, 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 right. <laughs> With the fermentation and the filtering. Um, because they've done a phenomenal job of building a really, really good team of people that are not only passionate about spirits, but passionate about the company and how we're operating. Um, it's a blast. We have five full-time employees, a couple part-time employees kind of help out as needed. Um, John has recently taken a step back from the day-to-day running of the distillery. So his daughters, Anna and Natalie, are, have sort of moved into the forefront and take it starting to take that over. Um, we're so. also just wonderful, uh, um, great people. Like, like I, I think I've met about everybody that works there and, and the daughters are fantastic. Uh, the people on the floor, like when you go and you see somebody bottling and they've got that, you know, that smile, there's a difference between the smile where you're at work and you're smiling because you're being, you know, okay, somebody's looking at me, a better smile. And that right. smile of, oh, I'm making whiskey. Oh, I'm bottling whiskey. Like, it's infectious. Yeah, I like, we we truly have fun every day at work. You know, there's stressful days where equipment breaks and everyone's running around trying to, like, figure out how to keep the ship going forward. But every day's fun, you know? Like, we, if someone comes in with a frown on their face, it's not because they're coming into the distillery. Right, right. Yeah, uh, that, like, leave that at the door. That's something else. Distillery. <laughs> Every now and then, like I, I have a bad morning, I come like tearing in, and then like I smell a fermentation. I'm like, yes, all right, all right, everything's okay now. <laughs> That's right. Makes everything better. <laughs> right. Uh, when, so when, yeah, tw- 2014, yeah. turn the still on for the first time, and then you know, seven standard products later. We're here. <laughs> That's great. And, and when they were researching uh, the history and the mash uh, build from uh, the mash bills from previous generations of North Carolina distilling, w- what did they find? Like, like what what makes that North Carolina mash stand out from other states, other geographies? Uh, for us, it's it has a lot to do. Like, we really focus heavily on that with. Um, our moonshine and a product like Frank's reserve, cause they're both the exact same distillate. Um, our moonshine's done super traditional, you know, it's not like we're, we're taking neutral grain spirit and then adding sort of flavoring to it. And we're not, we're not taking a standard whiskey mash, which would have been out of the norm for a moonshine um, and calling it our moonshine or a white dog. Like we are doing a very old school recipe. That's, Corn, rye, barley, um, a pretty significant portion of Louisiana cane sugar and some citra hops. And people ask, like, well, what's the sugar in there for? Well, if you think about one of the most difficult parts of producing a distilled spirit, like if your fermentation's wrong, everything's wrong. Like you don't get anything out the backside. And one of the hardest things to do if you're an at-home distiller or a moonshiner that's like, you know, at the bottom of a holler or in someone's sort of lean to on the side of a mountain is to nail your fermentation. And one of the biggest kind of things to cause that to fail would be a lack of residual sugar in your grain. So a lot of your traditional moonshines either have a 
some kind of fruit base added in with rain if they're using uh-huh. rain um because they want that residual sugar or they just added sugar or a sugar cane product in there to make sure there's enough sugar for the yeast to eat to produce the alcohol um and we lean heavily into that like our moonshine um we use it in margaritas and plumas why because that very traditional mash has a ton of sweetness from that sugar cane, which reminds you a little bit of the gave. But once you factor in the hops that went in there, um, which hops actually can act as an antibacterial thing to stop bacterial growth. So it ended up being very common in a lot of old school shines. But those hops add in some of those bitter citrus notes, which make it on the nose and on the palate, even though it's got like some maltiness or grain elements from the grain in there, make it seem more like an agave than it does sort of a whiskey or a shine. And we make margaritas with it. Beautiful. I think I've, I've had um, one or two of those margaritas and uh, uh, and then I don't remember much after that. <laughs> you don't need to. Yeah. Everything was fine. Everything was fine. <laughs> whatever happens next was what was supposed to happen yeah yeah so with that you know that's a product like it's not like that product is flying out the door will we ever stop making absolutely not right it, it, it's it's part of the part of your heritage right and a lot of those classic recipes good luck finding them like it, oh, yeah. It, yeah, yeah, just yeah, yeah, yeah. Died. it just died with how hard of a line the state took on liquor for so long. Well, and I can't remember if we've talked about this or not. I found out, uh, I guess, last Christmas that my family had a, a pension for uh, moonshining way back in the uh, days uh, that have been long enough ago that it would not stand up in a court of law. Um, the uh, I, I found out that like during the depression, uh, there was a lot of that going on and, and it, you know, got passed down from uh, father to son from generation to generation and how they did it. It, it just, it's a true, um, entrepreneurial uh, uh, mentality where you take what you have available to you to make what you have and make what you're producing. And I think that is the uh, systematic foundation of whiskey, right? The tradition of taking the grains available to you and the processes that you have uh, at your disposal and turning it into the thing that you're making. Uh, Well, I mean, you kind of look backwards in history and, even kind of fairly modern times, you can look at sort of farming communities um, and like a lot of households will have small stills. Right, right. Because you can't waste anything. You've put so much work into growing everything you've grown and raising the animals, like allowing grain to rot is is not a viable solution. Um yeah, even sort of like the colonial days, like most farming, like most farming communities, either like the vast majority of farmers had their own at home stills where they would do in like two, three gallons of stuff at a time, 
or there would be a larger kind of community still where people would like take grain that like wasn't getting get processed and they would throw in together and make larger batches of stuff. Um, it, and it was until- always positioned like right in between the livestock and the, and the grain warehouse uh, because it was right. like you sold and ate what you could, you fed the animals what you needed to, and then what you didn't want to have rot uh, uh, you would ferment and turn into uh, spirits. Yeah. And, you know, different farmers or producers would sell kind of casts off like as needed to make a little extra money or trade for other goods that they needed. Like, I don't, I don't, it wasn't really until kind of like the bond act in like the late 1800s that you really started to see kind of at home distilling sort of go down. Right, right. Uh, which goes back to that whole balancing act between what you need to make it safe and what you need, to, right. uh, like like the purest and the people that were making it for their family's consumption uh, versus the people that were putting like tobacco and gasoline in it to make it look like uh, real liquor. You know, and honestly, like two, like three, four years ago, before I started working at the distillery, um, like. I had a fairly well-developed palate, but if you gave me new make and said, Hey, like take a whiff of this new make and let me know if it's headsy, you know, like headsy, you're looking for kind of like acetone, methanol, sort of like those kinds of things. Right. I wouldn't have been able to pick out those aromas. Like I might've been able to, but like, it's not likely And now that I've spent enough time sort of in a distillery behind the curtain and like I've helped sort of do cuts and things like that, that like I can I can smell heads. Someone can hand me like a jar of heads and I'm like, why are you handing me a jar of heads? Like, this is insane. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, yeah, I I always know when I'm walking through the distillery and I walk by the still if we're like in the tails because there'll be that layer of like. You'll see like the fatty acids kind of like collecting on the top and you're like, ooh, ooh, that's a lot of rich texture. <laughs> right, 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 right. That's crazy that that you've now been in it long enough that you can I mean, but that's what it takes, right? I mean, that's how everybody gets good. You don't get good with books, you get good with time. Right. And you, you need both. I'm not saying you don't need the books. I'm just saying doing it every master distiller that's worth their salt, they've done every role in that in the in every in every role in the distillery and one of the things like i really enjoy about the distillery because every time i've talking i've talked to a distiller or distillery employee that kind of gets it you know what i mean like just Mm -hmm. really is super passionate and they get it um they get just just as excited about tasting other people's spirits as they do their own spirits um well that's that's that true artist like a true artist will get excited about anything that pushes uh it forward if it's good it's good it doesn't have to be yours it can be anyone's right and like that kind of sentiment is pervasive through the entire distillery everyone on the team like someone gets a new bottle and they're like has anyone tasted this? Like, right, do you right. need to do like palate development with like these three <laughs> bottles? Let's do palate development. Let's you do know, it. Everyone gets excited for it. And no one ever says no to a new pour if it's something they've never tasted. Um, like we just hired, we just hired a new assistant distiller, a young man named Jacob. 
Um, he's not a big rum fan and we love rum. Like we're, we're getting ready to do our first aged rum this year. Um, but still like anytime like a rum comes out, like Jacob, you want to try this rum? He's like, I don't really like rum, but yeah, I'll try that rum. <laughs> it's never a no. It's never a no. They want to drink everything and taste it all because it's all new tools in your yes. tool bag. And that's what I was about to say, that it, it's something that's going to add something to your palate that you will then be able to archive in the old, uh, the old upstairs so that when it comes up again, you can identify it, use it to your benefit. Oh, yeah. Like if Don picks up like a random flavor on, say, the finish, like we'll we'll spend 45 minutes of Don trying to figure out how they got that flavor into the finish. Was this like a weird sort of wood thing because like some of the staves grew in a weird area where it picked up this note or was this a cuts thing was this like a temperature on the still thing like he'll sit there for 45 minutes or an hour just having a conversation with me trying to figure out where the flavor came from see and that's the part where uh, it, the enthusiast in you goes into business mode because that's what you have to do like like for for me and uh, uh, some of our friends, when we sit around and dissect it, we're dissecting what the flavor, how the flavor, you're dissecting what the flavor, how the flavor, where the flavor in the process. That's a very specific difference because that's something where my palate now knows what it is. If you can dissect it, that's a tool that you can use and possibly replicate, right? Right. And I always, I always like to tell people, you know, distilling, um, especially when you're doing barrel-aged spirits, is kind of the most perfect sort of merger of, like, science and art. Right. You know, like, yes, chemical processes. Chemical processes are what they are. They're going to happen how they happen. Like, we know, like, there's math <laughs> to do that. Um, you know, so the basics of the distilling like running the still until you know you get it coming off off the parrot at the proof you want it like that is a very kind of very scientific thing like you know at certain temperatures certain things are vaporizing so on so forth i think the art comes into play when you know you start talking about wood selection what kind of barrels are going to be used like where they're going to go in your rick house are you going to need to move these barrels around what's the right barrel entry proof for this specific like if you're doing a run of whiskey that you know you want to take out to 12 plus years like okay now we need to talk about like do we need to lower the barrel entry proof so we're getting more sweet interaction on the front side as opposed to more tannic interaction on the front side or you know what are we doing here so well, like, you're like a maestro a you're like a composer right. you, you know the sound that the instruments make you just put them together in a in a way that creates harmony which is sort of a perfect kind of segue into our distiller dawn um I love chatting with him and talking to him about like his kind of tasty notes or aroma notes. Um, I like me and you grew up in sort of this world as consumers or drinkers and right. like how we taste and know something and how we describe it is kind of just how most people do. Cause they grew up sort of in the industry drinking it. Like linear. They, 
Right. Don thinks of a whiskey and its sort of flavor profile from like aroma to finish, like a piece of music, but he's, you know, he's a musician, plays multiple instruments, writes music, um, and a very, very gifted musician. But when he's like in his mind, he sees a whiskey as a sheet of music and there needs to be, you know, high notes, mid notes, low notes at like every phase of that whiskey. So he sees it almost like a song and composing a song. So it hits all the notes, like the ones you can't feel or the ones you feel and can't hear, like all of that. That's his approach to it, which is always fascinating when, you know, I'll I'll give him my tasting notes and he gives me his tasting notes. And I'm like, OK, OK, I see where you're coming from here. But isn't that a beautiful sentiment? Because all of your uh, volume pours, all of your pours with dimension, they do need to hit those notes mm-hmm. like delicious can get boring very, very quick. If it's a one note delicious like those ups and right. downs, the hints of this and a lot of that with a little bit more of, you know, it, it, it creates that rhythm that you that you look for in a, in a daily sipper. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and Don's palate is absolutely phenomenal. I, how he's managed to go from never distilling a thing in his life and then seven years later laying down what I think are are whiskeys that can compete in category with with pretty much anyone out there i think it's just sort of it blows my mind when you think about how most of the industry is organized where it's you know it's generational experience at most places really so he's homegrown oh yeah he's he figured this out himself that's wild yeah okay we can both we both know that shouldn't happen like that is a true like that's a whiskey savant right there that he's able to create this right here that's like that's amazing all of the big winstons that's all done that's amazing that's that's his mash bill like frank's reserve that blend that's all done that's his blend um like the the fall boykins this year those (laughs) were all winston-salem distill it that's all Don. Like that is that's him running that still, doing that cook. I'll tell you, those Boykins are absolutely some of my favorites that you guys produce. <laughs> every every one that comes out is just consistently uh, pretty damn kick ass. I'll tell you what, like of course I'm excited for fall, where you know, like starting last fall, every fall Boykin release will be at least two barrels. Um, but this spring. We're adding a four-year bonded single cast rum into the Boykin line. Oh, beautiful. Um, so spring will be a Boykin single cast rum and a Boykin single cast rye. Ooh. So yeah. so the the uh, uh the tiptoe into rum, what what led about what led to that? Were you guys just like we really like it? We see that the market's going, we could do something fun with, or or what what brought you into the rum category? So I mean, A, we're just excited about rum. Um, John, the founder, spent a lot of time in the Caribbean selling beer and wine, um, fell in love with with Barbados-style rums, so your four squares, like your nicer mountain gates, um, and wanted to do like a very sort of Barbados-flavor-inspired American rum. So we started laying down barrels. Um, 
we finally have barrels old enough that we're comfortable releasing them. Um, you know, four year bonded is an important sort of standard for us. Um, you know, bourbon wasn't going to get released until we had at least four year old bourbon. Um, right. and we decided to apply that to the room too. Um, uh, give it enough time in the barrel to really kind of develop character. Um, so the, uh, the folks, the Timberlake family, and we worked with them on, on that Boykin line. We reached out and asked if if we had anything outside of rye that we were comfortable kind of releasing in the Boykin line. Um, and me and Don both immediately went, how about four-year rum? And they are like, Beautiful. yeah, let's do it. So, uh, yeah, in the spring, <laughs> four-year, single cask, bottled and bond rum. Oh, beautiful. Oh, it's gorgeous. And then, like, two years from now, under like the standard broad branch line, we'll start doing six year single cast realms. Oh, I love it. I love it. We get Dan on here. We get him drinking. We're learning all the things. What else is coming up? Uh, so, so <laughs> many fun things. So many fun things. Here in a couple of years, we're going to doing the first malt. Um, it's like, I think 2024 or maybe 2025. I can't remember exactly. Actually, give me a second. I'll look that up. Yeah, because that's uh, right. Oh, that's right in your historical wheelhouse, right there. Oh man, I get excited, and our malt is super, super tasty. Yeah, eight year malt in twenty twenty four for our first oh, single malt release. God bless. That sounds amazing. Um, I'm, that that whiskey is absolutely delicious. It's really tasty right now. Um, it just needs to, it needs to develop a little more uh, sort of complexity. Right, right. So like the uh, let let that harmony uh, finish uh, getting composed. Right. So, like, we're we're starting to discuss like some kind of you know eighteen month sort of finishing or secondary maturation barrel and kind of what we want to do with that to have it ready for for next year. Oh, that sounds amazing. Oh, yeah. And then after that, you'll have your bourbon, you'll have your rye, you'll have your malt, uh, you'll have your rum. I mean, not bad for uh, some for a company that clicked the column still on in uh, 2014. Oh, I'm still. Who needs an easy still? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That's right. You guys aren't column. You guys are um, um, all pot. All yeah, pot, baby. All pot. That's right. Oh, man. <laughs> you got, well, not taking any easy routes, are you? No, not at all. <laughs> the look on your face when I accidentally said column. They're like, what? Um, no. Who's got a column? <laughs> I would love a column. <laughs> I would love a column because then I can sell contract barrels. But yeah, we'll right, get there. Right. We'll get there. Hey, now, uh, all pot still all the time. Um, for us, we, we like the additional sort of texture and flavor you get from – kind of the lack of reflux or redistillation that happens on the pot. You get a lot more of those fatty acids and lipids. So your finish is a lot longer. There's a lot more things for like esters to bond to. So you, generally you're just going to get kind of a thicker, more viscous, more flavorful whiskey with a longer finish if you're running a pot. Totally. And, and, and when you get to that, okay. Cause I've, You've explained it to me before. Explain it to me again. Your super colliders, uh, uh, the pot still to the super collider because you guys aren't. And and, and uh, explain, of course, what a super collider is because uh, uh, you did the blueberry last year. You did the apple this year. Um, 
it's it's through the pot, not the easiest way to distill because you're no. not adding it to it afterwards. Like you're you're adding no. it to it in in the mix, right? Yeah. Um, so it's always fun, like when I talk to people from other distilleries and like we start talking processes and and like how they do things how we do things and right off the bat for someone our size running only a pot and a true pot not not a hybrid nothing like that it is a true pot still um (laughs) most other distilleries look at me like i'm crazy they're like, why? Why would you make that more difficult? I'm like, well, <laughs> we think it produces a, a better spirit. So, um, the super colliders are just—they're everything I never knew I wanted in something that tastes like whiskey, but isn't legally a whiskey. Right. Right. <laughs> um, no, I know so, exactly. I, I know exactly what you mean by that. So we call it a super collider because it's two things sort of being jammed together that like most people never think should go together. Um, and for us, it's, it's our, our rye grain, which I absolutely love. We source that from Washington state and it has just this wonderful, beautiful, like absolutely beautiful, very unique flavor profile to it. But we take that rye grain and whatever our chosen fruit is for that year, and throw it in the mash tun. Everything gets cooked together. And then we pump that entire mash over into the fermenter. We allow everything to ferment together. Um, And then we pump the entire mash, fruit and grain included, because we not only ferment on grain, we distill on grain into our pot still and run the pot still there so the fruit's completely integrated on on the front side of production and for for the apple one um that guy spent nine years in new oak and then another six months in brandy god bless america i mean not one part of that doesn't sound delicious nor do i envy whoever has to clean after you are are done I mean, that just uh, it's got to just get gummy and and like you've really it takes a an act of precision to get that through and not make it a complete mess. So we replace a lot of parts in our pump. Because that makes sense. Like, because we don't splarge, which is like the process of filtering sort of the grain out of your wort or your mash. Um, that grain just like eats up parts in the pump. But we find, like, we really, really like the flavor profile of the stuff that's been fermented and distilled on grain. Because we have some some earlier barrels that were, you know, splarged and, you know, fermented just on sort of wort or mash without the grain and then distilled just straight liquid. And it just doesn't taste as good. But it, it doesn't it's not as thick, you know, it doesn't coat the mouth the same way. Like a lot of the flavors are there, but they don't carry the same level of intensity. So now we're just we're we, we do the distillation in the most difficult way possible. <laughs> well, it comes through in the bottle, man. And and let's go ahead and jump into this one, because if, if you can't tell, I've been in, imbibing a little bit with it since we started. I got mine uh, right here. There we go, baby. The I love the back of the bottle. I love the uh, handmade from a mash of 100% Washington, prairie rye, and fresh apples. I mean, just just 
right there. Just beautiful. Yeah, we're not, we're definitely not trying to hide anything from anyone. <laughs> no, I don't think you are. Transparency huge for me, like as a long time kind of drinker and collector, nothing's more frustrating than, you know, picking up a bottle from a brand and not knowing like who actually distilled this whiskey or rum or whatever it is, like not knowing sort of those details to help me make a decision on whether or not I want to invest good money in a bottle. Well, and not only that, uh, uh, in the, a lot of distilleries and a lot of brands are getting away from the the fictitious story, but the fictitious story once I've got the bottle doesn't help me figure out what what's in it. Like like right. when you're going through and you're setting up that palette to catalog what's going on in the glass, a true statement is a lot easier to like like you work your brain extra hard if you're having to like figure out what's wrong in the label. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I mean, so I, I was pretty adamant when we did the repackaging rebranding of everything of trying to be as completely transparent as possible. Um, yeah, there's always going to be things like we can't give away, but you well, know, of course, barrel date, dump date, barrel numbers, mass bill, you know, things like that. Like, as far as we're concerned, like we're proud of what we're doing. And if we're proud of it, there's no reason for us to hide it from the That's consumer. exactly right. If it's there, let it be there. It, it only enhances w- uh, what you're putting out, in my opinion. So, Jesse, I will say this year, the super collider we laid down was a sweet cherry super collider. Oh, dear God. You did this to me when we talked about the blueberry. You told me about <laughs> the apple, and now you're telling me about this cherry. Well, I mean, you won't be able to taste that for about eight years. Well, fair. That's fair. <laughs> so just go ahead and forget I said that. And then eight years from now, I'll be like, Jesse, remember that sweet cherry super collider? You're like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like that Christmas present that like you forgets behind the couch. Yeah, exactly. Well, off the nose, you immediately get that spice coming out of it, and you get this beautiful hint of apple that that I would love to blind this with people uh, because I guarantee you they're going to get that hint of apple whether they know it's an apple super collider or not. You know what I mean? Well, what I love about blinding this with people, especially like folks like me and you that drink a a significant amount of of different whiskeys is that yeah this isn't technically a whiskey like it's it's not really whiskey like it is legally a rye but it's not legally a rye whiskey um i blind this with a few other things no one says this isn't a whiskey they're like what whiskey is that like right right well i mean it's got all of but, but i mean the only thing that's um it's it's just technically not in the approved uh, breakdown of what a whiskey is. Like, it, right. it, but it's not well, the, not a whiskey. It's still following all of the uh, steps. It's just uh, <laughs> uh, added in that apple. Yeah, if it was all rye grain, it's a whiskey. Right, because we right. put the apple in. It's a spirit specialty. But I mean, I think this is a reason why not only consumers, but also distillers shouldn't be scared of spirit specialties. Like just because you can't put 
rye whiskey on the label or just because you can't put bourbon on the label doesn't mean you're not going to produce something absolutely delicious that people want to drink. Well, I, I think they do it uh, like you guys have done it with, with some uh, finesse and, and smartly where you are not. This is very, very good, but you're not putting your uh, you're not putting your hat like you're not resting the business on this. You've right. got other phenomenal expressions to float the company. And then this right here is one of those amazing uh, toppings on the cake, like uh, uh, cherries on the fudge sundae, if you will. You know what I mean? Okay. This is this is a fun thing for us to do and experiment with every year. If I want to do a muscadine version of this. Of course you do. Of course. Because it's North Carolina. Like, I, I feel like at some point we have to have a muscadine version of this. Like, we've talked about sour cherry, I think could be interesting. A, um, a crab apple, if you're going North Carolina. <laughs> crab apple might be a little too Crab hard. apple might be a bit much. I'm curious what kind of sugar gets released off of that, like when you cook it. Um, we've talked about peach, um, apple. Like, of course, we're going to do plenty of apple. Apple's absolutely fantastic. And sadly, this is the last super collider for about three, four years. Well, I mean, you you had you laid this one down eight years ago, so it takes time, right? Yeah, we do. I have, would be uh, worried about a peach. A peach, you could get those sugars. I, I'd be interested to see. I, I don't doubt you guys could pull it off, but you know how when sometimes the sugars of a peach, especially a peach whiskey or a peach, when not done appropriately, can take right. over, and then that second sip can be a little bit of that? Well, I'm not sure I've ever had a sort of peach whiskey where the peach wasn't added after the fact. Right. That that would be what uh, the only – like I, I would have faith in you guys to get it done because of how you are creating these. Yeah, if anything, so like this this apple super collider, like it makes me I think of this apple super collider as if like a really nice like Calvados or like your traditional sort of French like apple and pear brandies had a love child with like an old an old rye fidelity, <laughs> like an eight year old rye fidelity. And th this is what was born of that relationship. From the nose straight into the glass, I mean, everything, what you just said, the marriage of those two things, you're getting that spice and you're getting that beautiful hint of like organic, uh, uh, that fruit coming through is just beautiful. So like for me, what I love so much about these super gliders, like, the fruits are always there and they're always very clearly defined um, and they're an integral part of the spirit, but they never outshine the rye. Uh -uh, uh -uh. The rye is always the star of the show and the fruit always seems to just sort of amplify a lot of the natural flavors of the rye. Like this tastes like what a whiskey drinker, at least in my mind, what a whiskey drinker would want out of an apple pie whiskey. Not not what the flavor people are trying to like make apple pie taste like in whiskey, but when right. the whiskey drinker goes, Oh yeah. Like I really like this as a standalone spirit. And it reminds me of like caramel apple pie. Well, and they work well together. The notes of apple bring out 
hints of that rye where the rye is already first uh, it's, it's out front but with you put the apple with it it starts enhancing that it starts bringing out spice notes that you might not have gotten otherwise it is adding to not taking away it's delicious it's absolutely delicious i will say i i have some barrel finishing plans for um some seven year like high proof rye for the end of the year to kind of simulate something similar to an apple super clyre. oh yeah yeah no. yeah we're doing a, we're doing a couple high proof seven year rise this year that i'm pretty excited about there's gonna be a uh a seven year cast strength barrel just just straight rye and then i have uh i have two barrels to play around with on the finishing front so we're we're gonna work with some we're doing two barrel finished bourbons and two barrel finished uh cast strength rise so we're working with um a couple breweries and cideries around the state to kind of locate the kind of barrels that we want for those 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 whiskeys oh how cool is that and will those come out this year or they'll they'll come out next year if you're doing them this year those are releases for this year oh okay beautiful oh yeah so it, Man, like, you guys we'll have, have a big 2023 planned. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're definitely doing a lot more whiskey nerd stuff this year. Um, and then sort of releases across sort of case count across the board is going up and all the other products. Um, but we are, we're doing, we're doing whiskey nerd barrels this year, which I'm, I'm really pumped about with finishes and cast strength releases, I don't know how many times folks like you have been like, when are we going to get a cast strength for rye? And we finally got into barrels where the barrel entry proof point was low enough for us to do a cast strength rye. Beautiful. Yep. Not burn them out. Yeah. I mean, so, ooh, speaking of big news for the year. Yeah. um, Rye Fidelity, like standard six-year Rye Fidelity, is uh, shifting to six-year bottled and bond. Really? As a small batch instead of a 90-proof single barrel. Oh, that's awesome. So we have uh, the first two batches of the year, and we're doing, you know, we're doing sort of first batch of the year will be A, second batch of the year is B, so on and so forth. Um, Right. So... A23 and B23 are going to be Washington State barrels. Those are all small batch Washington State barrels as six-year bottled and bond. Um, once we get to that third batch, it's all Winston-Salem moving forward on six-year rye. I mean, if it's six or wow. under, it's all us moving forward. I mean, that's that's quite a feat. That's uh, that's that's huge for you guys. I mean, that's like next generation broad right. branch right and you you've been to the distillery like you know how small it is you yes we have 400 barrels sitting in in the warehouse right now <laughs> and we've stomached that pain to get our age statements to here that's great though man i mean it's 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 just further proof that you guys you love this and you're wanting it to be above and beyond like you're you're pushing <laughs> it you're pushing yourselves to constantly make it better Right. I mean, if you're going to do it, do it to the best of your ability. A thousand percent. There's no uh, there's no other way to do it. Now, you've also got something interesting. 
you have the wood exploration that I believe just came out, right? Yeah, that that just came out um, a couple weeks ago. Uh, and it's probably the series of whiskeys we're doing that I'm probably most excited about. Um, you know, the American whiskey industry has exploded at such a pace that all of the big boys, like, yeah, they're expanding at the fastest rate they can, but they've, they've all pretty much came to the realization that they will never keep up with demand. Like demand has so far outstripped supply that like, how do we ever catch up? Um, also we're yanking white oak trees out of the ground at a ridiculous pace. And I mean, for every two trees we yank out of the ground, we might plant one. Right. Right. Barrel cost is going through the roof. Um, so how does a small place like Broad Branch keep producing what we think are world-class whiskeys and world-class American whiskeys with barrel costs going through the roof? Because, you know, at a certain point, new American oak becomes prohibitively expensive for us if we're only going to be buying 200 barrels. You know, well, like we, don't have, we can't buy 80,000 barrels, therefore right, we don't have purchasing right. power. Um, so wood exploration um, is a really fun for for Don and me to talk about, like interesting, fun ways of creating super delicious American whiskey that doesn't require um, new American oak. And when I say American whiskey, everything that goes into this series will either be our rye mash or our bourbon mash. Like it will be a very traditional American whiskey mash. Right. Um, it just will never touch new Oak ever. Right. Right. So the, the one I sent to you is um, not only the first release in that series. Um, it's the first of a four year vertical barrel series um and we're gonna have all kinds of all kinds of stuff in here so these four barrels um all spent their first six months in smoked stout or these four whiskeys all spent their their first six months in smoked stout barrels then they all got transferred into shave toaster rechar red wine barrels for like their final full maturation so the one that you have that's eight years old was six months smoked stout seven and a half years str red wine oh my god oh explain smoke stout to me so like a smoke stout beer so it picked up like all those gotcha yeah so those barrels were originally bourbon barrels then they aged smoke stout beers you know then our folks got them we put put rye fidelity base distilled in there six months picks up all those wonderful smoked stout flavors, the chocolate, the coffee, which are things that are already in our base distillate, but I got them right at the beginning. So over the course of the next seven and a half plus years, while they're sitting in the other cask, you're still getting that esterification happening and you're still getting those chocolate and coffee notes interacting with whatever's happening in that STR red wine barrel to produce new flavors. There is a depth to this thing that is insane like like you it it's like twofold first you get like this like i don't know how to explain it, it it's it's like 
you get the spice from the rye. You definitely get the rye fidelity uh, first and foremost. You get that coming through. But then there's this beautiful, like almost malt shop chocolate that hits you right after the rye spice. And and then it's like um, you shift sweet. Like after, hold on, let me uh, let me go in more research. I don't want to guide you too much with my tasting notes. So like after you finish, we could talk about like my experience with this. Totally. Well, that, that's the beauty of the whole thing is that everybody's experience, especially with something where you're doing such a, a experimental thing with its uh, with what you've put it in and how it's aged. That the man, there's just so much going on in this glass. Yeah, this is like this series of whiskeys and this barrel series has gotten me so so excited about some of our different weird one-off stuff we have sitting around the distillery Um, i I think for me like first first nose on this like that rye spice hits me and then um that little bit of of the red wine from the str red wine str red wine barrel hits as like a like subdued like brandy cherry with some chocolate on it mm-hmm. and then dark palette is very it's very sort of black forest cake like a very sort of drizzled drizzled some kind of liquor through a black forest cake like tiramisu style like a deep chocolate like a deep chocolate cake <laughs> yeah but oddly enough second sip on this um it kind of veers back more into um, what we get quite often from Rye Fidelities with more of that honey sweetness. And it almost goes like baklava, like the pistachios, the honey, the, the that really thin, crispy pastry dough. Like, yeah, I get like a cola spice, like it U-turns oh, yeah. and goes back cola after that initial hint of chocolate cake from the first sip. I definitely pick up that cola heavy on the finish. It's like it's like cherry coke, like cherry yes. kind of coke on the Perfect. finish. Perfectly put. Um, and so with that str barrel, one of the things I I I gained some experience with with drinking things from str barrels from uh, the single malt world. And one of the things I always enjoyed about STRs, like when they're used, whether something goes real old or like fairly young, um, you'll get really nice, well-defined age notes, like the leathers, the tobaccos, like maybe some of those sweet varnish elements. Um, And you'll get those really quick and early in sort of the aging process with an STR barrel. But, because something's already been aged in it and then they shave, toasted, and recharred it, like a huge hunk of the tannins that would push something over oaked are no longer there. So you get sort of the fun side of the age notes without the potential downfall of, you know, something going over oaked with an SDR barrel. The freaking mouthfeel on this thing is fantastic. Like oh, this is one of those, uh, you kind of need an hour with this thing. Like there's enough going on that you could sit here with it and just continually find more uh, uh, from from everything in that glass. Yeah, my. So I I get a lot of bottles from the distillery because 
you know, going out doing tastings with, with folks, whether it's bartenders or restaurateurs or just, you know, going out kind of doing brand development stuff. Right. Um, I, I socked away two of these in, in my personal collection because like the tasting bottles weren't going to be enough to scratch my itch on it. Like I, I really enjoy this and I really, really look forward to the day where I get to line up an eight, nine, 10 and 11 year old version of go. it and really, really kind of dissect it. I, I think me and Don are going to have a very long night when we finally like get the 11 year out at whatever proof we decide to release it. And then we sit down and do all four years together. It's so freaking good. There's so much. Like it's been a couple minutes. I'm still getting different sugars off of the end of it. Like it's almost like, um, and it's totally, it's totally from the wine at the end of it, but there's like that, like a sugar pop at the very, very end. Mm -hmm. Like, like that little, almost like a crackle. I know that I know that that's yeah. not, uh, but, you, but you know what I mean. Like that little thing where the edge, uh, the end of your taste buds are finishing it, and it it just like kind of sings a little bit right there at the end. It's like that rock candy crunching. Yeah. <laughs> but but in like the best possible way, like like it totally right. works. So, and I only brought up rock candy. I was uh, recently in a um, an Indian market kind of looking for just new flavors and things to kind of like inspire me on the cocktail front. Right. And they have, they had this saffron rock candy. How was that? It's like, I bought a bag of it. I haven't popped it open yet. In my mind, I'm going to make like a saffron simple syrup out of it. And then like, once I taste that, I'll figure out what drink to make with that. <laughs> like there's gotta be something great fantastic with it I, I can smell it I, i'm not sure what it's going to taste like but i can smell it right now i mean you could do a lot you could do a lot with that you you, you pair it with the right thing that sounds oh, yeah. yeah that could be a lot of fun look at the legs on this thing like the viscosity on this oh, is yeah. just freaking wonderful well i would say like cast strength on this guy was comfortably comfortably over 140 yeah oh yeah yeah so it went in like a lot of a lot of these early barrels went in at 125 and we're picking up like two to two and a half proof points a year at the downtown location so i mean we dumped one of the barrels we dumped for the first batch of uh six-year bonded rifi was 167 proof <laughs> and we're all sitting there like how did this happen? <laughs> How did this happen? This is so many proof points past where it should be. How did this happen? But we all tasted it. Uh, that that, that was my next question. I assumed <laughs> that you did. It. I wasn't in the distillery when they dumped it. And they knew like they had to pull a sample <laughs> because I was going to be like, what do you mean? I didn't get to taste 167 proof rye fidelity. Ooh. They pulled a sample, and I, I'll tell you what: um, these ryes, like at at cask, at six years, whether they're in the high 130s, low 140s, in the 150s, or in the 160s, all drink under proof. 
like shockingly underproof. Well, I would say that about the uh, everything that we've tasted through so far has been 110 proof and down. And the Super Collider is dangerously smooth. Like you do not get. Oh, that feel, that feels like a bonded whiskey to me. Like it feels like. Yeah, a yeah, 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 yeah. I could drink this all day long and not realize it until I make everyone that knows me mad. Right. Until you're running around Jesse in nothing but his underwear. Right, right. Like Will Ferrell and Anchorman, just like uh, Cannonball time. Yeah. I will say I recently got a yellow turtleneck to um, channel my inner, like, Anchorman. <laughs> I was like, I need... We were we were out, and I saw this, like, really cool yellow turtleneck, and I was like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A little I'm, Dan I'm Burgundy. With like an old black and white check, like yeah, just like hardcore, like nineteen seventies. <laughs> oh, it's perfect. I, I actually I can picture it. I, I that wouldn't be a special occasion outfit for you either. That'd be like a once a week wear. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I think that's what, it's what drives my wife so insane about like when it's time for us to dress up in a costume because I'll come up with what in her mind is going to be a ridiculous costume and then I put it on and she's like you look like you could just wear that like that <laughs> might be like you might be a hipster that's just like, Tuesday I don't know what to tell you like I did I did Magnum PI this year yeah for I, I remember you sent me a picture it, like I came walking downstairs and like had the whole get up on she was like Yep, I automatically know your Magnum PI, but I also would not be shocked if you just wore that. It's like, well, I, I, I think I've seen you one time uh, uh, where you weren't too far off from Magnum PI. Like, it just depends on the mood of the day. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not scared of some mid thigh shorts. Like, I'll, I'll channel some 1980 shorts. Like, I'm fine with that. It's summer. It's hot. My goodness. The end of this thing is what I've got to figure out. Like, there's so many good things happening, but then the end, that finish is just. It doesn't dissipate. It keeps going. And it's almost like um, it's almost like the whiskey's life flashes before your eyes. You get like a little hint of everything you've experienced as that finish uh, dissipates. Could you imagine, like, if we ruin this whiskey with chill filtration? Why would you? Yeah, no. Exactly. Why would you do think, that? I don't want to think but, about that. It's it's just. <sighs> I love explorations for this reason because it's like a flavor. Uh, uh, it's like a your palate. No matter what your palate thinks it's ready for, you get something else. And those are my favorite kinds of things because it it, it grows your palate. It, it, it expands a little bit, you know? Next time you're in Winston, um, come by. Like, I may have a really good idea where the, what will be the 9, 10, and 11-year barrel of this are. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, I've got to travel through there in the next month, so I'll, I'll hit you up and let you know when. Man, I can't, that's just... I under, I completely get why you you held a couple back. Like that's one of those. It's it's this good right now. Imagine like a year from now, or like like imagine when you've uh, uh, not had it for a little bit, 
and you you're you've forgotten you've forgotten it and then you go back and have a pour and you have that memory pour along with whatever your palate has grown to since the last time you had it yeah i've like, i've placed these i've placed these bottles in areas of my collection where they're not readily visible mm, mm-hmm. for because, that reason just to kind of keep your yeah, eye off of because i had three i had three backups and now I only have two because <laughs> like, I, mean, I just, I house, I house. It. I got the super collider on Friday. You, you, you know, like, like it, there's a reason that when you <laughs> like something, you buy two because they don't last long. Mm-hmm. Good Lord. That I is- think what I like so much about like this specific wood exploration cask, um, you get like very clear influence of both casts, like both casts, like Agreed. you can taste both of them, um, which is super cool to be able to like pick out two different barrels in a whiskey, but they don't overshadow the distillate. Like the base distillate is still like the star of the show, which is the fact that the base distillate is still like the dominant flavor profile is what I love so much about this. Well, I think that shows that the, uh, that shows that it's been put together by uh, a master's hand versus luck. You, you know what I mean? Like, right. like it's been intentionally constructed versus happenstance. And it does. It's just like the super collider where you get that rye fidelity, you get the rye first, and then everything else is like on its back. It's 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 not uh, it's not holding hands. It's kind of on the shoulders of the rye Uh, the same way that like anything that's been finished in a, a, a secondary barrel where there's been an imperfection in the whiskey, I feel like it punches down, but anything where it's been finished as a nuance to an already great whiskey, it, it punches up, you know, and, and, and this does that. It takes a good thing and makes it better. Yeah. I mean, we, so we have this mantra around the distillery um, and the basic of it is all you need is good distillate, good wood, and patience. Only one of those is easy, and that's good wood. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's the only sort of, like, easy part. Like, you can always go out and get a phenomenal barrel from a really good barrel producer, or if you have relationships with, like, the right wineries or the right, right producers, like, you can get, you can get, good wood it's just a matter of money um if you're using in-house distillate having good distillate isn't isn't easy like people make it sound like it's easy but it's a it's a very time-consuming laborious process like that is really consistently on top of that is laborious times of Mm -hmm. And then the patience, the patience side of it is probably the hardest part. But I well, patience so would be easy incredible. if there wasn't bills to pay. Right. Exactly. Like I am so incredibly, incredibly grateful that John and Nick and their families have fully embraced the quality over quantity side of us producing. Um, and 
they allowed us like they allowed us to let this eight whiskey age for eight years well you know it, a lot it's of what will make you like, stand no, out, get that out. In, right. in the long run, it will be the thing that makes you uh, stand above others uh, uh, because you can always tell when someone's going for the quick buck. And that's not even always that's not even always uh, it's not uh, necessarily bad right. Well, well, nor is it always uh, uh, intended. Sometimes you do get into a lurch and it's like, I've got this. I've got to sell it like like it's just. Right. You're 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 in a wonderful position where you're able to like wait until you think it's ready and put it out when it's got the seal of approval. One of the like it's if you're a craft distillery, it's it's fairly easy to sell the first bottle. Everyone wants to support local. Right. Everyone wants right. to support local. It's it's that fourth bottle. Mm-hmm. It's keeping it on the shelf. Mm-hmm. It's that fourth bottle, like it's it's when you release you know what exploration is 130 plus stuff like if if our people in the local community didn't trust us to produce something that's worth 130 dollars we we wouldn't be able to sell this you know it's it's always going to be that third fourth fifth bottle for a craft distillery because like you have to produce something good enough to get them to pay the additional expense of going to you as opposed to going to, you know, heaven Hill or makers or Buffalo trace or, you know, angels in the, and you wouldn't have the line that you have every time you guys release something like the, right. the, the proof is in the, uh, the visual, like you guys put out something and you announce it, and then Saturday morning comes, and you've got people lining up to buy it. I mean, you, you know, mm-hmm. you guys have done. You've come so far since 2014. It's it's kind of uh, it's kind of crazy how how good the liquid is for for 2014 till now. Yeah, I was uh, I was tasting some of our our six year bourbons the other day, and I remember. We released released four year bourbon, um, you know, two years ago. This is our first bourbon, four year, eighty five proof, and then the next month we did four year, one hundred twenty proof. <laughs> we ran we ran the, ran the spectrum on that one, <laughs> and then it settled four year bonded after that. You know, so this year every bourbon we release is minimum five year bonded. Uh, like our barrel finished bourbons that we're doing at the end of the year, both going to be six year barrels next year it's six year bonded moving forward. And I remember, I remember chatting, you know, about a year ago with uh, Anna and Natalie and John about kind of the difference between our, our four and five year bourbon. And they're like, is, is an additional year on top of five gonna, gonna make like that big of a difference? Are, are we going to see that big of a jump? And I was like, I'm, I'm, 75% sure. Yes, we will see a big jump. Don Don was in kind of the same boat as me. Like he was leaning more towards the 85 to 90% sure that we were going to see a big jump in sort of flavor profile, like getting it to where we wanted. Right. Um, and we started tasting six year barrels this year and everyone like it was kind of when it clicks and everyone yeah, goes, yeah. Oh yeah. That aha oh, yeah, moment. That, that's that's the stuff 
that's the stuff. And like there was the big jump from four to five. And then another big jump happened from five to six. And it's it's delicious. It's delicious. It, it, it's insanely tasty. And for them to have uh, given you guys credence to do that and, and not, you know, take a chance. Take a chance on what something could be. And it has delivered. And you guys have been uh, since the get-go. Uh, the four years always been fantastic. Uh, and and that, also to go back from a minute ago, there are people that can put out I mean, I've had 18 months liquid that will blow your socks off. Like there's there's no wrong or right answer. It's just that the longer the time goes into it, you, you know what I mean? Like like there are exceptions to the rule, but by you guys giving it the yeah. time it needs to put it in the barrel and let it be good, you're setting yourselves up for success. That's me covering so, my ass right there so that people don't like uh, jump on me uh, in a couple weeks and go, well, man, I had something. It was aged for 45 minutes. And it was pretty damn good. It's like, all right, well, you know, there's a there's a yeah, there's always one thing that'll break the mold. But I, I, I love the direction you guys are going. <laughs> <laughs> I go with the, we all have different ballots. That's right. Um, that's right. I like I've had some some good 18 month whiskeys. But in that scenario, I kind of, I quantify that with four 18 month whiskey. Yeah. 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 I'm trying to dig out of a hole here. Dan. I know. Well, that's okay. I'll dig myself a hole. No, I know. I know exactly <laughs> where you're coming from. Uh, uh, it's just, there are everything that you, there uh, are rules to the, there's that are there for a the reason. Rule. Yes, yes. Right. I've had a lot of people, not a lot of people, but I've had people send me things and they've got like this, um, they've got this sales pitch to it where I figured out a way to do what could have been done in six years and three months. And you're like, you didn't though. You didn't. I, I Like all of those tricks where they try to like force mother nature's hand, they, they you can taste it. It doesn't taste right. It's like what I imagine in, in like the McDonald's impossible beef, <laughs> you know, like you can only speed up a chemical process so much. Right. Right. You know, like it eventually it comes down to math and like kind of that chemical process is only going to happen so fast. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and like there's there's really nothing you can do after that point. Um Yes, I've had I've had some good eighteen month whiskey. I've had good two year whiskey, good four year whiskey. Um, I think much is like as for me as a as a consumer, like I look for very specific things on labels. One of which tends to be an age statement. Like mm -hmm. I want to know how how old something is, especially if you like. There's a certain dollar point where I expect an age statement. If you yes. don't have an age statement, I better know someone at the distillery or know someone that knows someone that can give me details on what went into that bottle or there's no way you're ever getting my money. At a certain price point, it's expected because you jump into a certain category, then the consumer expectation will want to know where their money's going. I mean, it's just that is... How great there are certain distilleries that don't have to put an age statement on their bottle and they say this is a hundred dollar bottle 
based off of everything they put out at that price point in the past, like, right. I'll, okay, I'm going to take this flyer. Don't do me dirty. Sure. Uh, but I think we were in the same mindset a second ago where if it's somebody that you, if it is a smaller distillery putting out something that is going to be at that price point, then they owe the consumer a little more information instead of just right. uh, trust me. <laughs> I mean, for years and years and years, like I just sort of like as a single, single malt drinker, like I always gravitated towards, you know, higher age statements. And then I was introduced to the Octomore line out of Brooklawi. And those are like mostly like sub seven year single malts that crush much older whiskeys in competition just crush it like whatever Bacladi is doing with their their young distillate that they put into the Octomore line like Jim McEwen set them up for for years and years and years of success because Jim McEwen is a scotch malt whisperer but up until then you know I was like no malt malt's got to be X amount of years old, or it's not really going to be drinkable, especially at cast strength. Right. And then Octomore like completely shifted that paradigm for me. And, you know, from my research, like the entire single mall industry. Isn't that the beauty of, of this though? Like, like right when it's like Rowdy Roddy Piper, right? When you think, you know, the answer, they change the question. Like there's always going to be innovations out there. Uh, and that's the beauty of tasting through different things. There's always going to be an innovation or somebody doing it in a different way where you get something new out of the flavor profile, something that pushes you and your palate forward. And and then to your guys' uh, uh, viewpoint, something that you can dissect and figure out what they did to turn it into something that you can utilize to make something new as well. It, it's, it's just the cool right. part of the industry or one of the cool I parts mean, of the industry. So we've known each other for, for about three years now. And like when we met, like, just take a look at like what was the American whiskey industry when we met. Like, good luck finding finished whiskey. Oh, good it luck was finding still, finished. It was bird. still taboo. Like, finished rye was taboo. Like, mm-hmm. when you talked about a finished bourbon, probably about seventy five percent of sort of like the nerdy whiskey drinking community would lose their mind. Right, absolutely right. lose their mind. Like, that isn't bourbon. This is an atrocity. Like. Just wrong Which, quarter of the person that made this. <laughs> and now everyone wants to finish whiskey. Like everyone wants a toasted barrel. Everyone wants like some sort of like secondary maturation or finish done on their American whiskey. Like the entire industry has and like all of the consumers, like even like folks like me and you have like fundamentally shifted what they expect to see out of American distilleries. It's oh, no longer the give, give me 12 years of new American Oak non-chill filter it, put it at like 100 to 120 and everyone's going to be happy. Now, like if you're a big distillery and that's all you're doing, good luck. You're falling behind. I I think it's been interesting watching some of the big boys pivot towards the consumer because there's been generations of of them not doing that. 
of them telling the consumer, this is what it is. Take it and enjoy it. Where now they're seeing like the innovation kind of outshine some of their traditional expressions and they're getting on board. They're, they're coming around to it. Uh, the quickness of the pivot is actually it can be concerning when you see how quickly they've pivoted over the past three years. But I guess that oh, yeah. probably like, means that they had their ear to the train track a little bit. Look how look how long yeah take, take Midwinter's Night Dram for a thing like right. that's been a thing for five plus years, if not longer. I'd say like seven eight plus. Like what act? Like what are they on now? Like I think eight, they nine, they, they just uh, uh, their ten year. I think they just. Ex- uh, just celebrated their 10th anniversary of midwinter like at 10 so 10 years 10 years and it wasn't until five to seven years after Mm -hmm. they started finishing rise that like the big guys started looking at that craft whiskey and going yep oh wait like people are losing their mind about this because at a certain point for like when it comes to your in-house distillate, like our at a certain point, our bourbon tastes like our bourbon and our rye tastes like our rye. So like, how do we keep people interested in both of them yeah. outside of doing sort of like single barrel releases? Like you, you have, like you have to keep people interested and innovation like, is the, that, yep. A thousand like, percent. Agree. Younger, younger drinkers and younger consumers are like, they're drinking considerably less, but they're drinking at like higher price points. Like they want unique, interesting, like kind of luxury high-end experiences. And 94 proof, eight-year-old, just straight bourbon isn't checking those boxes anymore. Well, and as they grow, they're also wanting the vintage that comes along with like the wine mindset. So you were saying a moment ago about how fun it's going to be to sit there and try those wood explorations one next to uh, one right next to another in years to come. That's what the consumer is looking for as well. They want to go back and visit uh, uh, the fifth anniversary Rye Fidelity against the 2021 rye fidelity they 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 want those experiences and and i agree they're not buying as much but what they're deciding to put their money into or or they're not drinking as much but what they're wanting to put their money into isn't the everyday fare they're wanting that interesting unique experience of something that then they can go back to and try again and grow from yeah like it's it's a very interesting shift in like how sort of the younger consumers are approaching whiskey because like 20 years ago if if you were a 25 to 35 year old sort of bourbon drinker like you had your bourbon and like you had your bourbon and that's the bourbon you drank and there might be a special release once a year that you got excited about and that was it and, and now that special release probably wasn't that different in what was in the bottle. It was probably just like a weird bottle. Maybe a little older. Right. Maybe a little younger, maybe a little higher proof, maybe a little lower proof, but like probably just had like a special bottle. And nowadays, like these, 
the consumers are getting out there. They want to try different things. They they want a nice experience. They they want the distillery to kind of be authentic in like how they're interacting with the public and how they're interacting with their spirits. Like they want that story. They want to see the craft distillery making investments in itself and growing the brand. Like they want all of that stuff that they weren't even thinking about 20 years ago. I think the experience of drinking itself has changed as well. Uh, there, it, it's not just, and, and that goes parallel with the time that we're in, uh, a generation ago, two generations ago, it was a mixer, it was a shooter. And that wasn't even really their fault as much as it was the time that they were in and you're competing with vodka, you're competing with the clear spirits and that era of pop culture. And, right. and now, uh, we're out of that and you're able to take something with more personality, something that kind of, uh, you can put side by side with some of the older expressions from pre that era of whiskey and get more interesting results, uh, uh get well, more flavor out of, and, and, and the consumer is craving that now. I, I think our, our younger consumers, like they, they just, have a healthier relationship with alcohol than mm, like that's a good point. You did sure. when we were in our twenties, you know, like alcohol isn't just a tool of intoxication. Like alcohol is like a part of the social experience and the social experience breaks down when you lose your inhibitions and can't behave. That's a so, very interesting point. So That's... like our, our, our younger drinkers are very, very concerned about responsible consumption, how it affects your body and how like it may potentially like affect like cognitive decline later on in life. Like there's all these things that our, our younger consumers are thinking about that me and you didn't think about in our 20s because we were like, this party will never end. Right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Make so, me feel like, better, brown spirit. Right. So like younger folks nowadays, like they they want to be able to connect with a brand. They want to be able to sit down and enjoy a whiskey the same way like wine people enjoy wines and they want to enjoy like a very well-made cocktail the same way like people dissect like the perfectly made dish like for me what i see kind of talking to people coming in the distillery and like working with with folks in the hospitality industry is that like more and more the average everyday kind of consumer coming into places is looking for a healthy experience and right. not just a a fun experience well it's that shift back to farm to table it's 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 not wanting the mass produced tgi friday experience and right. if you go back pre prohibition by all of the by every region now having some form of distillery, some form of craft spirit, it's almost like we were prior to prohibition where you're seeing the geographic regions, each putting out what's in their area to produce and, and the consumer flocking back to their home expression, their, their States what's by them uh, uh, profile, you know? Yeah. It's like, you definitely see more and more of the like, 
and just to take sort of like this year's roadbook catalog from mm, like mm-hmm. our parents generation yep. um you know like every, everyone got that everyone got that a lot of people would order things out of it because it was cheaper but like you would go to your local spot to like get stuff that you knew you had to like kind of put your hands on and get a feel for um and i think I think more and more people are looking for that kind of experience. Like, yeah, there's the big one that you can always count on. You know, you're getting a good, good quality product, but more and more people want something in their community or in their state that they can fall back on. That's their local product. And they know when they spend that money, like it's going back into their community, whether it's back into their community at the state level or it's back into their community at like the county level. A thousand percent, a thousand percent. And it's kind of funny to see that it only took almost a hundred years to get us back to that. Let's go. Yeah. Everything's cyclical. Everything. It's, everything's a cycle. I mean, hopefully, hopefully people preferring vodka over whiskey is not cyclical because hopefully that does not come back. No, no. I, the I thought of that hurts my heart. Yes. Well, we've got James Bond drinking Heineken now. Maybe we can get him onto whiskey next. Yeah, like I never understood why James Bond wasn't like crushing single malt. Like, <laughs> like, why was it martinis? Well, I mean, down to the actor. You know what I mean? Like, you have uh, uh, Sean Connery. You know, right. why not put a scotch in his hand? <laughs> Come on. How, I've never thought about that. I've never put that together. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You've got Sean Connery. Why would you put a martini in his hand? We well, got to think like. Come the 1980s, like Sean Connery, he was Bond. He was like 70s Bond, right? Mm-hmm. 70, like in the 70s, where everything started skewing towards like white spirits. And if, you know, it wasn't until the 80s that Johnny Walker kind of looked at like just sales disappearing and then they rolled the dice on super premium whiskey with Johnny Walker blue mm-hmm. and like super premium just blew up from there. W- would you say, is that patient zero is, is the Johnny Walker? Cause that's the first one I can remember. That was the first one where it was like, dude, there's like this high dollar out there that if you can get it, if you can get it, it's amazing. I think so. I think so. I can't think of another sort of like brand in like the graveyard of whiskey. In like that era that specifically. Period, that era that I like to think is like the graveyard of whiskey brands. Like so mm-hmm. many beautiful distilleries shut down in the late seventies, early eighties. Like I, I think Johnny Walker, was, Johnny Walker was kind of the first, you know, like Buffalo Trace and Bland's kind of embrace that a little bit later with like the single barrel option, which is now kind of like fully solidified in people's heads as being like a premium version of American whiskey. Um, but I would say, yeah, probably. I think Johnny Walker was, was patient zero of the no whiskey is good. And and then you could put almost um, like, like bookers in that era. Uh, for for whiskey uh, for bourbon in terms of like uh, the balls they had to put that out when they did because that was I mean you're like almost you're 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 uh, breaking the champagne bottle on a ship that's going down you know 
I've had some old burkers. I'm trying to think, like, I can't remember when the first one came out. But I do remember the first burkers I had. And it was it was well before I was a whiskey nerd. And I was so completely confused about <laughs> why anyone would ever bottle a whiskey at that proof point. Like, I was like, is this some weird, like, masculine posturing? <laughs> like, what is happening here? Like, why would anyone want to drink something this high proof? <laughs> And I like I tell people this and they just laugh at me, especially like if they know me. They're like, right. really? Like you were questioning someone putting 130 proof whiskey in a bottle. I'm like, yeah, that happened. That happened. That was like before I got to where I am now. Like, I'm, no, totally. I was so confused about it. Like it made no sense to me. Well, I, I think um if you look at those first expressions, because they were like three tier, weren't they? You, they were uh, 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 there was bakers, there was bookers, and um, we had the knob. Yep, yeah, yep, 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 yep. Uh, that's not the one bakers, I'm thinking about. Bookers and Basil Hayden's. That's the one. That's the, that's the. It was almost like they tiered it, like uh, uh, low, middle, high. And God forbid we ever get an age stated, like, give me a 10 plus year, 100 plus proof, like Basil Hayden's. It's the only high rye in that entire series. Like, Booker's Bakers and Knob Creek are all the same mash. Then you mm -hmm. have the high rye Basil Hayden's. And we've never gotten like a Booker's or like 120 proof Knob Creek expression version of Basil Hayden's. Like, I, imagine I feel like that whiskey could be magical. If they would just go, if they would push it that extra oomph to get it above a hundred proof, uh, but I imagine that that's been pitched, and they have a sweet spot on the shelf with that low proof offering, and and that They're the net the, the, the argument crushing. I can completely see how the marketing argument would go. Well, what if somebody wants something higher than that? Then we'll direct them towards one of the other brands. Like, you, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's a it's a, a Planko. It's whichever consumer ball drops. They want it to go in one of their bottles. So why would you let it cross lanes into competition for yourself? Right. I mean, that brings us back to the how do you straddle the line of being in the industry and being also the, like, obsessive hobbyist? I, I, I don't envy your position because you have like your brain has to be like Harvey Dent half the time, like because you've got to be focused on if, if you don't understand what you like, you can't do your job. So you have to know your palate, but then right. you also have to see what the consumer likes and be able to squeeze what you like through the meat grinder of commerce It is a fun challenge but that's got to be challenging yeah i mean i'll get i'll get folks ask me like questions of like hey why don't you do this at this proof point and i go well if i did that at that proof point i would have to charge x amount of dollars per bottle based off of like traditional barrel yield and they go oh that's gonna be hard to sell like, uh -huh. exactly. uh -huh. that's the main thing when people bring up wacky ideas or you're just sitting around and somebody throws something like that out there i'm like well me and you would buy that right but who else would buy that and that has to be the razor's edge of your guy's thought process because if you go on if, if you don't go if you go too safe then you've not gone interesting enough 
But if you go too far, if you make crab apple super collider, then you've gone too far. And then it's just you making me buy like a barrel of it because I, it was my dumb idea. <laughs> Tim, Jesse, this is on you. Yeah, this is on yeah. you, Jesse. We're going to need 30K now. Come on. <laughs> that's, my, uh, that, that's my contribution to the industry. A shed full of crab apple super collider. <laughs> that you're trying to give away. <laughs> Every Christmas for the rest of my life, the whole family gets crab apple whiskey. <laughs> and then you stop getting invited to Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and then the industry goes full circle again, and all of a sudden, like weird sour whiskeys in. It goes the beer route, and all of a sudden, a sour whiskey's like, no, 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 you got to come try this crab apple flight that I've got. Then everyone's trying to trying to give you a grand for crab apple whiskey. <laughs> that you're like, are you serious? I couldn't give this away. <laughs> goes back to the beginning of the conversation where somebody <laughs> had the foresight to keep that crab apple whiskey uh, barrels in their backyard, perfectly bottled, perfectly preserved, and now they own a boat in Charleston. But it makes me wonder, like, I would love to, like, sit down with some of the folks um, at Beam and, like, ask them, like, especially the ones that have been there for a while, like, how long did it take for bookers to catch, like oh, to like catch on a national level? Because yeah, 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 I remember, yeah. like I remember, like seven plus year old bookers, and like you're not finding seven year bookers anymore. Like that, no. does, like no, like you haven't seen seven year bookers for years. <laughs> so, like, how long did it take for that to catch? Like, how long did it take for like consumers to go? Oh yeah, yeah. That's it. Well, it goes back to what we were talking about in terms of the family having your guys back in wanting to put out a product that you knew you knew six was going to be better than five. I'm right. sure there was somebody over there that had equal amount of faith in themselves saying, let's just see, you know, we like it. We like it. So if we like it, keep it out there. Eventually, everybody's going to. Right. No, I mean, this it's definitely this is a def it's so challenging to try to balance which what you want to do and what you're passionate at a distillery with what what a consumer is actually going to buy it, it's it's the hard line i mean it's it's an unenviable challenge but when you get it right i can't imagine there's much more uh, feeling of accomplishment that like super collider apple super collider is the perfect example that is delicious and if you guys didn't do it the way you do it it would not be as good as it is no so, not at all i mean but you know there's, there's a reason i'm like a kid in a candy store anytime we dump a barrel now granted, there's a reason I that i keep smelling this glass you, 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 <laughs> <laughs> now, granted, like I don't work on the production side of, of the distillery, so like I'm not in there every time we dump a barrel. But if they dump a barrel while I'm in there, like I come running. I'm like, you oh, guys yeah. dump barrels? What are we dumping? Like, I want to know what these things taste like, so I know how to talk about them at these ages and at these proofs. And like everything's just like as much as I love this and I'm in insanely passionate about it, but every barrel I taste at the distillery is kind of a new data point for me on yes. like, okay. Like if, 
if I'm hunting down finishing barrels for Dawn and we know we're going to finish a seven-year whiskey as opposed to a six-and-a-half-year whiskey as opposed to a six-year whiskey, like, I know what to expect from those three ages. And, like, those are all within 12 months of each other. And they're all they're all pretty different flavor profiles like i can expect like very different flavors at like each point like they all taste like the same whiskey but at different points like they're going to react to different finishing barrels in very different ways right oh uh, so you know you definitely need to be there for that reason but there's also just that willy wonka uh amazement john hammond you feel like John Hammond every time a dinosaur comes out of an egg when you pour when you like every barrel that I've ever been a part of watching them process. There's something about watching the liquid come out where you're just like, this is this is there's nothing better than this right here. Oh, it, it's, it's so magical. Incredible. I remember the first barrel I dumped at the distillery and it was one hundred and fifty seven proof six year old rye fidelity. I took a big old sip of that and I was like, what's this guy sitting at? Like 132 to 135? This is delicious and very drinkable. And we proofed it. I was like, oh, oh, I'm definitely not driving. Yeah, I'm right. Definitely not yeah, right. driving for about three, four hours. Then you invited your buddy from the wedding over and he took it straight <laughs> to the head. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the, like, still, even. Even Don, I don't think I've ever seen Don dump a barrel, and he dumps barrels all the time without taking a little sip. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to. Every single one. You got to make like, sure it's the, good. The really, really special ones, like I'll get a text from Don. He's like, are you going to be in the distillery today? <laughs> and like, you just why? know. He's like, we dumped a barrel. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I I'll, I'll I'll find my way back. I got better be it. here four o'clock. Right. And it's one of those like every barrel they get dump gets dumped. Someone's tasting it. Every single one. Like it may not be me, um, but don't Don gets a taste of everything that comes out of the barrel. Well, even while you wait for it to get ready, uh, just drilling a hole, taking a sip understanding what's not right yet or recognizing that it's perfect. Uh, it, the whole thing sounds like just a Rubik's cube of awesome. I mean, if I were to complain about work, I would just be making up complaints. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. It's, 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 <laughs> they sent me an email at five 30, but that email was still about whiskey. So it was totally fine. Yeah. It'd be like, Hey, we need you to drive down to Fayetteville and talk about whiskey at this restaurant. I'm like, well, if I have to, <laughs> well, I'll it, go down it, there it, and talk whiskey with people that are drinking whiskey. It was like an '80s cop drama. It was like Johnson, I need your ass in the. St- I need you here right now in the distillery, tasting this 50 proof. I'm like, all right, Sarge, I'll be there in a minute. Like, 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 it's the best problem you could possibly have. All right, Sergeant, I'm going to have to rearrange some things. Um, <laughs> give, give me 30 minutes, and then <laughs> just be sitting around 30 minutes to look like I had something more pressing. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. 
Dan, it's it's always a freaking blast talking to you, buddy. I, I I you and I both know we could do this for the next seven hours. Yeah, we've we've, we've had some it. we've done really it. long like IG lives that have gone like damn near three hours. Oh my god. It just like made everyone angry. <laughs> we've never oh man. I forgot about that. Yeah, we were going. <laughs> I, I don't know what we were talking about towards the end of that. That's that's what like 115 proof will do sometimes. I think we got into some Ric Flair. There was a little bit of Flair. There was a little we bit of H. We definitely got into some wrestling, or I should say <laughs> wrestling, because they're they're very different things. <laughs> um, but so that's the beauty of it, right? That's the beauty of where these conversations go. It's organic. It's fun. I always freaking have a blast talking to you. You're one of the smartest whiskey people I know. And uh, today was no exception. The I, I, I may have uh, snuck a little uh, five uh, uh, anniversary rye fidelity along with the uh, super collider and the uh, uh, experimental. So all good things, all delicious things. You guys keep doing good work at Broad Branch. And let's do this again because I enjoy it every time we get together. Anytime you want, brother. Anytime you want. Cheers, bro. Ham. Cheers. There you have it, everybody. That is this week's episode. I want to thank my buddy Dan for coming on the show, for Broad Branch Distillery, for putting out some of that good whiskey that North Carolina is being known for more and more these days. I love the history of whiskey with North Carolina. I love... I don't love, but I think it's interesting how people don't understand how far back the history of North Carolina and whiskey goes. I'm going to be covering that in future episodes as well with some other distillers in North Carolina. So thank you, Dan, for coming on and letting us talk some whiskey with you. Broad Branch is putting out some of the best whiskey out there right now. I love their Boykin rye. I I know uh, it's just fun to say Boykin. I'm going to say it again, Boykin. Uh, The rye fidelity, the, the Big Winston, some of their super colliders. Uh, If you can't tell, when I like something, I get all excited about it. So that Apple Super Collider is still on my shelf. I go to it every time I need to reevaluate something, and I want something interesting to reset my palate. It's so damn good. It's so interesting. It's what I love about whiskey, because you can crawl into that glass and find something new every time, and that speaks to the innovation that Broad Branch is doing right now. So thank you, buddy, for coming on the show. Uh, Wishing you nothing but the best in all the adventures you are about to have, and Broad Branch Distillery. God bless it. It's summertime, baby. This is when they put out some of their good stuff, so be on the lookout. Be on the lookout for them on the website, on all other socials. They've got some super cool things coming up. I don't want to ruin the surprise, but you're going to want to pay attention to it. You're probably going to want to drink it. So, thank you again for coming on the program. I thoroughly enjoyed having you on. And that's it for this week, guys. Pretty fun, right? This is a pretty cool uh, little time frame that we've got going. We've had some kick-ass guests. We've got more on the way we've got a few surprises we've got heaven hill coming back up we're going to learn about blind barrels with the folks at blind barrels they're coming on they're going to we're going to do some blind tasting together he's going to walk me through how to do that we've just got some fun things coming up so uh keep on keeping on and keeping up with the show and you'll find some good whiskey in your glass soon and for right now i would ask you to go hit like and subscribe on all of the things if there's not a brand that we've had on yet that you'd like to hear Ooh, fortuna's coming on too i forgot about that that's going to be fun if there's not a brand that we've had on that you'd like to have on that you'd like for us to have on 
shoot me a note. Shoot me a note, jesse at bourbonshowdown.com, and uh, we'll see if we can't get them. If it's good whiskey, I want to talk to them. You can also find the comedy schedule at jessejonesonline.com, the whiskey schedule on bourbonshowdown.com, of course, and we will be back next week with more delicious whiskey. My name's Jesse Jones. Let's raise a glass and kick some ass. I'll see you guys on down the road. We'll see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.